Ahoy, it's your boy, and today is Sunday, January 7th, one day after the anniversary of storming the Capitol. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I just said that. I don't know anything about that. Um, I don't even know why that popped into my mind. I'm just feeling a little bit goofy. I'll be honest with you. I feel um, tired as I'm sitting here. I just, uh, I'm stifled about four yawns as I was sort of getting things set up to record this, and um I, well, I'm just going to let one rip right now. So, not sure. <sighs> Excuse me. I'm not sure if that'll be the theme of um, of our session today. Um, the reason I'm tired, though, well, well, I've got a couple things that are flooding to mind right now. Maybe you start with the good thing. is uh, I've actually, since the school ended, I've been losing weight, which is good. Um, I think part of it was predicated on getting my wisdom teeth pulled and I was on this saw food diet for um, pretty much a week and a half. Pretty much back to eating normal now. But what I started doing is um, it sort of goes back to when my sister had her wisdom teeth pulled. I remember my mom like bringing her like a like a milkshake or what's the word? You know, like a cookie milkshake. You know, it's like an Oreo milkshake, like the kind of thing that you would get from Dairy Queen or something like that. Which, by the way, I don't know how those places stay in business. Um, I, I, maybe it's just that I don't have a sweet tooth, but I'm never at home thinking, oh, I could go for a blizzard or something. Now, when I have them, I announce to the cosmos that I'm about to become morbidly obese because I absolutely love them and they're the best thing I've ever had. And when I have it, I just think, God, God damn, I'm going to have like one of these every day. And then lo and behold, X number of years goes by and I haven't had one, nor do I like order that kind of stuff. I love it. I just, for some reason, I just don't crave it. For me, the, the, the junk food that I love is like pizza and stuff like that. Um, but I remember my mom bringing my sister uh, when she had her wisdom teeth pulled in like an Oreo milkshake from Dairy Queen or some other place. Because uh, I guess based on the food that she was eating, she was, you know, just it, it was framed as like calories. And so I thought I should just like count all the calories that I'm consuming um, while I'm on this soft food diet. And I admit, I've never been one to kind of count calories before. And this is just anecdotal or just like a, a sort of cursory internet search as I was sort of thinking about this. But I guess like most adult males, and I'm pretty short, so it's probably not this high. But most adult males need, you know, something in the orbit of like 25,000 calories a day to maintain their weight, which seems a little bit high, frankly, when I think about it. But I decided, uh, as I was sort of clocking what I was eating, I was eating about six, 1,600 calories a day on this soft food diet. And um, and I, I admit I, I felt pretty good. I mean, I just kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's, I, I'm a kind of a plain Jane palate by nature. Um, and I'm also a creature of habit. So I'm once I sort of pick a routine, I'm sort of fine sticking to it. So eating things like scrambled eggs and mashed potatoes and uh, bananas and... Um, you know, I'm not saying it's how I'd want to live the rest of my life, <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's not impossible for me. So I thought I'm just going to now I'm going to like just count my calories for everything. And I'm just going to eat, you know, I'm going to shoot for like 2000 calories a day. If I go under, that's great. But, you know, I'm going to let myself eat up to 2000 calories a day and just see what happens. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been losing two pounds a week. And um, and uh, I think that's pretty good. Um, I'm also kind of back up to exercising regularly, which um, I would say I'm actually normally pretty good about. I do like calisthenic stuff. I mean, years ago, I used to run a great deal. And although that was good, I guess I, I sort of, you know, life is sort of funny. I, I, I admit, I think I have some type of body dysmorphia, which is if I'm uh, overweight or underweight, I just always feel the same about myself. And I, and I, I, I think we're all kind of this way because we see ourselves all the time. It's hard to see those changes. Um, it's only when we step on a scale or the clothes that formerly were tight or loose. Yeah. The fit of our clothes changes. That's when we realize that a change is taking place because otherwise we just kind of look like ourselves. I mean, I was actually just thinking about this and this is where I started to pinball. But I, the reason I'm kind of tired is I, I just ran this last minute errand. I had like um, this afternoon I had gone up to the, um, there's like an elementary school up the street from me and they have a public basketball court that when the school's not in session that anybody can use. And so I go and I shoot, uh, hoops for like an hour. I don't like to play basketball. I just like to shoot free throws and just shoot at the basket. So that's any, I like that kind of meditative, 
stuff. Actually, as I was doing it today, I, I feel like it's kind of, you know, in a, in a weird way, kind of in the same constellation as why I enjoy firearms or shooting, which is just this, it's kind of this repetitive target aimed, you know, meditative kind of thing where when you start to get into the zone, it time just sort of disappears. And uh, I always, I feel like I always draw on this anecdote, so I'm sorry if I'm boring you with it. But the the sort of, uh, how do I say it? The uh, prototypical example of that for me was like, well, two things actually. My mom used to do this, she used to volunteer for this nonprofit in the town that we lived in. It was actually theater related, which is sort of related to the theater stuff that I do. But they would do this like fundraising thing every year. And my mom would have to, I think, send out like, you know, a couple thousand envelopes or something like that. And so I feel like I did it a couple of times. I feel like my brother did it a couple of times. But there would be this period of like needing to stuff envelopes. And um, that was something I really enjoyed doing. That just, just that kind of like procedural, repetitive type of thing. And actually, uh, when I was dating my last girlfriend, I remember we did that. Uh, I don't know what you call it. Like it's not rock the vote. I don't know what it is, but it's just like campaign letter writing thing that people do. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, it was just something that we did. And I think we ended up doing, I want to say a couple thousand, but, uh, that could be, that sounds pretty ambitious, but I, I don't think it was far off. I mean, I, th- I feel like it was at least a thousand for sure. Um, but that kind of stuff, stuffing those type of envelopes, that's fun for me. And so why am I talking about this? Uh, basketball shooting. I enjoy that. Man, we're really getting off topic here. Um, but I was playing some basketball. I came back. I actually did my calisthenics as well. Because actually, this is, it's be- you know why I did this? And <laughs> This is embarrassing to talk about, but this is true. It's because I've been weighing myself every Sunday, and today is Sunday. And so uh, I was like, uh, well, if I got to get on the scale today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on the exercise. So for me, shooting baskets is exercise because I... Uh, Hell, you break a sweat. I probably, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to, I mean, I don't like wear like a smartwatch or anything like that uh, to count calories or, or a pedometer or something like that. I did wear, uh, I had a Fitbit for a while and that thing was a piece of shit. Uh, the pedometer was way fucking off. The, you know, I would look at the calories burned. It was absolutely insane. So that thing was completely unreliable. Um, so I just stopped wearing it. Uh, this was like, I think I started wearing it like two years ago or something like that. Um, I had it on me. I think I actually stopped wearing it when I was in Taiwan. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was kind of doubling down on the exercise because I knew I had to get on the scale today. And would you believe it or, you know, this was actually a pretty active week for me. And I think my calories were down in general. And I only lost one pound instead of two. Isn't that so typical? Isn't that how life works? When you're not really thinking about it and you're just kind of going through the motions, you know, you're kind of, you know, you put up bigger numbers. But when you're kind of intentional about stuff, it's very uh, Taoist philosophy, actually, when you think about it. The whole kind of Wu Wei, uh, you know, anything that you do with intention is actually doomed to fail. It's only when you're just kind of in the zone. You're, you're not thinking. You're not overexerting yourself. That's when you really accomplish stuff. I mean, in a way, I kind of feel that whether it's shooting baskets or whether I'm at the range when you're very intentional and very purposeful, you're often shooting the worst. And that's for basketball and at the firing range. But it's only when you're kind of in the zone, trust your gut, and kind of rely on muscle memory or intuition, that type of stuff, you know, uh, that you seem to do your best work. But anyway, I really am not even getting to the point. <laughs> uh, I was talking about why I'm tired. I don't know. I think the point is, is that I just did that stuff uh, took a shower, and then I actually realized last minute I had to book a last minute doctor's appointment um, uh, in preparation, uh, really just for my graduate school applications. Uh, they require this health thing. I mean, everything I do, uh, I th- I, maybe I had to do this when I went to Middlebury as well, but like going to Taiwan and applying for grad school, I, I feel like I've done this a few times now, and you just have to get these like uh, you get you need, you need to get a physical and you need to get this like I don't know proof of health form filled out or whatever, and it's always very confusing because you know although the the document is always that you print off is always in Mandarin and so in Chinese characters, and also in English, but the English translation is always a little bit strange and that is true across the board. I mean, um, this sort of generalizes to a lot of other things. I'm kind of feeling a little frustrated by right now, but uh, the problem with these doctors' forms is when you go, uh, 
knowing what I know now, it's 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 exponentially more frustrating. The process itself sucks enough, but you have to go to the doctor, and it should be as simple as sitting down with the doctor and having them just fill out the form in front of you, and then just handing it back to you so you can leave. It's it's not a you know, I fill out all the personal information. It's not like there's specialized tests that need to be done. It's just like, you know, does this person have X, Y, or Z, and are there any glaring issues? No. It's just a it's just a formality. You know what I mean? It just gets filed away somewhere. But the doctors can't do that. You have to go through the medical records office. And every single time, you know, people insist this is a very easy process. And I say, well, Based on my personal experience, it hasn't been, but, uh, you know, if it, it, it is what it is, you know? And this is what adult life is, by the way. You're just kind of shuffling from one annoying errand to the next, and as soon as one fire gets put out, there's just, like, another one that sort of pops up. It's just the way life works. I mean, I literally had this happen today. I was, uh, you know, I'm jumping around trying to get all this stuff ready for my grad school applications or whatever. Oh, man, I got to book this appointment for this physical. And I know what the process is going to be. I'm going to have to go see the physician tomorrow. They're going to do absolutely nothing. Everything's going to be fine. But I'm going to have to have had the appointment so that I can send the form to the medical records office. And then they'll send it to the doctor. And the medical records office will tell me that they'll have it back to me in five business days. And then a week will go by and I'll hear nothing and I'll follow up with them. And then they'll follow up with the doctor. And they're not going to get back to me. And then a couple days later, I got to follow up with them. And the, the, you know, the deadline's going to be approaching. And you know, they always insist, oh, well, we have to get the form back from the doctor so we could put a, a stamp on it and then we'll send you a PDF of it or, or, or whatever. And you know what always happens? Every single time the deadline passes or whatever, I have to, you know, exchange emails with the organization saying, sorry, I have this thing, you know, it's, I'll get it to you as soon as I can. And thankfully, everybody's been understanding uh, to date, probably because I imagine people deal with this kind of stuff all the time. But even this is the worst part. They tell you it has to happen X, Y, and Z. And you you sort of bring, you know, whatever experience you've had that you are bringing to bear on this kind of next attempt. And I always try to thoughtfully explain, I know you're telling me it has to happen A, B, and C. And yet my experience is that because the process is super frustrating and disappointing, what, what ultimately ends up happening is I exchange emails with the medical records office. They have no answers for me. I end up, you know, circumventing the whole process and calling your office and then the doctor basically just fills it out. They print it out, fill it out, and leave it at their desk and stamp it with their own office seal. And I just go in and pick it up myself. So it's this super crazy protracted process that could we could just save ourselves this whole trouble if we just filled it out and, uh, at the same time, right? So anyway, that's one thing. The other type of adult bureaucracy that I sort of dealt with today that was super frustrating. Anyway, what? let me just put a pin in this last point. So the reason I'm tired is because I got out of the shower after doing my basketball and then my calisthenics and stepping on the scale and being sad about only losing one pound. But maybe that actually means, you know, I don't know if you've watched shows like The Biggest Loser or whatever. I mean, that must just sound like an ancient artifact to some people. Um, but I remember like you would have, especially men would just lose insane amounts of weight on that show. And they would like, once they start doing it, you know, they, the, the, the weight is just like melting off and then they kind of hit these plateau periods and uh, you're like, they'll work, they'll work their ass off all week and they'll lose like no weight and they had lost like 25 pounds the week before. Um, and uh, okay, I, maybe it sounds silly that I'm comparing myself to that, but that's just where my mind went. Um, but basically as I was in the shower, I realized because it's late after now it's early evening, but it was like late afternoon. I said, holy shit, if I have to go to the doctor tomorrow, I got to have that form printed out. And your boy is living in the 21st century, so he doesn't have a printer. Or actually, I do have a printer, but it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, it basically took a shit on me like a year ago. So when I'm in school, that's not a problem because I can just go to the school library or whatever. But I've had to take multiple trips over the last two weeks to FedEx office and I have to do this very dubious thing where you send the form or whatever you need to print via email. You know, and it's, it's, you know, it's nothing super sensitive, but, you know, it's these sort of graduate school applications that, you know, I, I don't know, they, they don't have my social security number on them or anything, but it just feels weird to be sort of sending, you know, sort of forms into the ether and just like, you know, it just, I don't know, it's just, you, you know what I'm talking about just the nature of the digital society that we're all living in. 
But I basically was like, yeah, I had to like walk up the street, hit the BART station and, you know, ride the train one stop and get off at FedEx office and print two pieces of paper and then walk back to the station and then walk home. So, um, yeah, I feel a little overstimulated today. And then the th- I get, oh yeah, so now that, so that's the end of that point. And then the other adult bureaucracy thing that I had to deal with is uh, I talked about having my wisdom teeth pulled. And I was so happy. And also, I'm just frustrating myself the more I think about this. Because when I quit my job, I lost my uh, medical coverage. So in California, we have this thing called Covered California, which is great. And especially now, since I you know, technically have no income, um, I get a pretty decent deal on uh, medical coverage in the state of California. So that's cool. Uh, all the firearms people who talk this, this, you know, this is some, you know, I don't know, um, unconstitutional, whatever. I don't know. People hate this state, but it, you know, it has plenty of problems. Don't get me wrong, but they do a couple things, right? And uh, so I'm actually getting better health care now than I had um, when it, while I was employed, and you know, it's it's I, I don't I don't want to say how much, but it's it's costing me almost nothing, which is which is uh, which is great. Um, when I set that up though, I picked a certain dental plan and, uh, which works for the person who cleans my teeth doesn't happen to work for the people who were going to pull the teeth out of my face. Um, so just for that procedure, I switched my, uh, medical coverage or sorry, my dental coverage just so I could get this procedure done. And so, you know, I had this weird, I have this, that is a frustrating thing in and of itself because that sort of you know, it resets things or whatever. So when I try to make the appointment, it doesn't look like I have coverage. So they first give me an initial quote without coverage. Um, then when I go back for, I think actually for the first, um, what's the word, a consultation, you know, my my dental insurance still has not gone through. So they kind of, kind of crunch some numbers and they say, well, with the coverage that you're, it sounds like you're going to get, this is what we'll quote you or whatever. When I show up for the procedure, she initially, because uh, they sort of, you have to pay up front, she quotes me this like really high number. And I said, oh, even with my coverage? And she said, oh, well, it doesn't look like you have coverage. So thankfully, I brought it up because she had to look again. And then she says, oh, I see you are covered. So I ended up paying exponentially less, and um, uh, which was great. Not, not, I mean, if you had you know, asked me to guess what I would have spent on having my wind teeth pulled, uh, this was like dirt cheap compared to that. So that was great. And yet... You know, so I pay this very nominal fee, like when I go for the actual procedure. Then, just the other week, I get a, um, uh, I get a letter from my dental provider, uh, which I assume is something I'm going to throw away. Most of the paperwork I get now is just garbage uh, because it, things are on automatic payment and all that sort of stuff. So it's basically just, you know, I realize now that our entire United States Postal Service is entirely propped up by just junk mail, which is insane. But, um, um. I op- yeah, so I opened this thing, and I think it's just going to say, you know, it's just some form formality or whatever. But it says that they are not covering any of the procedure. And I said, oh, well, that's insane. So I just kind of put it on my fridge because I want to see if I get a follow-up from the oral surgeon. Lo and behold, today, I get the bill. It says I owe them, uh, I don't know, is it bad to say? But they say I owe them like $1,100. And I was like, God damn it. And so I go up, I go online, I start looking at my dental plan, and then I realize... Of course, and I should have anticipated this, frankly. I feel a little bit dumb, but this is how we learn these things, I suppose. When you sign up for a new dental plan, you're put on a a waiting period for certain things. And of course, it's all, you know, once I look at the details, it's all the things that you, that somebody would want dental coverage for, right? So you're basically put on like a two-month waiting period. Or it's like you can't get X procedure. The type because one, they're they're all the type of things that you would want done immediately, but it's exactly the things that that you can't do. So because I, uh, yeah. So based, yeah, I don't know. There's really not much to say except it's actually not covered. So now I have to pay out of pocket, and I was just like, God damn, man. Whether it's taxes or, you know, even the whole covered California thing, the whole process itself is like. You have to send them all these documents, and then they send all these like confirmation types of things. Oh, we need more proof of this. We need more proof of that. And I'm gonna feel real dumb because this is where my mind's going, and I really don't know what I'm talking about. But I was talking. There was something similar to this where I was talking with someone, and I was like, 
Yeah, there's a piece by David Foster Wallace called This Is Water, which I think was I think it was really like a graduation address. And I don't know if it was like Harvard or wherever, but he gave this like graduation address, which I think was later he edited and it was even published or something. But, you know, most people, when they do these graduation speeches, they always try to talk about like, you know, you are the future and you are the way and, you know, soar on the wings of your dreams and all that sort of stuff. And I think the thrust of David Foster Wallace's essay, and there may be something a little bit more poignant here, but at least one of the themes of it was, you know, prepare to be bored, prepare to be frustrated, because uh, the majority of adult life is just doing like dumb, boring things, like standing in line at the grocery store. You know, so much of adult life is just get in line and wait. And, um, you know, that's probably just going to increase as I get older here, you know? I mean, thankfully, I'm young, I'm in relatively good health. And so even though, you know, the types of things which are are, are wonderful and, and uh, I mean, as I'm, as I'm sort of complaining about all this paperwork, you know, I, as I was telling myself, you know, like the, like the 17 year old me, like the idea of like being in the shower and realizing like, oh shit, I have to go run that errand. That would have been fucking impossible. Like, I think Louis C.K. has this joke where he says like, there's been so many times in his life where he'd had an appointment, but he just like didn't have it in him. You know what I mean? Like when I was like 17, 18, like my alarm clock would go off for school and I, I would just be like, nah, and just like go back to bed. You know, the amount of things that like you just, I don't know, those kind of self-defeating things that you do when you're young, just because I don't know, uh, you're young and dumb and, and your prefrontal whatever is not fully formed and you can't really foresee the consequences of the stuff. It's just part of the, I don't know, it's the nature of the beast, I suppose. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, the, you know, the, the fact that I'm like in the shower and I go, oh man, I actually have to run that errand. I literally just get out of the shower when I'm done, towel off, grab my things and start walking toward the BART station. That's a bit of an accomplishment. Um, but uh, why am I talking about that? This is water. Uh, oh, I, as I was doing that thing, I was saying, well, of course this sucks, but I'm going to be happy when I'm home and I will have had done this and I just sort of get it off the list of things to do and it's taken care of and I, I actually don't have to worry about it. Because I think something I still struggle with as well, this is, I mean, this is, uh, um, you know, this may be an oversimplification, but I feel like youth in general, especially young adulthood, not like uh, childhood, but young adulthood, late teens, when you're sort of move out for the first time, and you're on your own. At least for me, there was a lot of kicking things, to, you know, kicking the can down the road and kind of avoiding things because they're uncomfortable or they're a hassle. And that's really how things kind of pick up a head of steam. You know, it's only by, I mean, in a way, my mind is going back to Yijing and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, a big thrust of that philosophy is like recognizing things and responding to them in their germinal state before they even have an opportunity to grow. Because if you do that, then you just kind of keep, you know, chilling. You exert minimal effort now so that you do not have to exert maximal effort later, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, adulthood is a lot of just like waiting in line, navigating minor frustrations and, uh, yeah. And that's kind of the thrust of that David Foster Wallace piece. This is water. Um, you know, and it, and it sounds sad. I mean, it's the type of thing that like when you're young, you would look toward, or maybe even here, uh, if one were a young person hearing this. And think, oh man, adulthood sucks, and uh, it really doesn't. In, in a way, there's a there's almost, and I think that I and I'm th I, you know of course I have to go back and reread it, but I think that's almost the thrust of David Foster Wallace's speech in some ways, whether it's explicit or not, is that there's a kind of uh, enlightenment that comes from reconciling yourself to those things, right? Like, you know, in the kind of Buddhist like desiring is the source of suffering, like. If we just sort of accept that this is, you know, the cost of admission for, you know, really the quality of life that we enjoy, right? Because uh, I, I don't know if I really hit this point. Maybe I sort of skipped over it. But as I'm like telling myself, oh, you have to run this errand and print this piece of shit paper that's, you know, to go to the doctor. And uh, it's just this uh, 
literally uh, almost like running on a treadmill just for the fuck all of it. It's just a bureaucratic bullshit nightmare. Like, I actually think back to, like, when I was listening to, uh, I mean, when I was younger, Adam Carolla was a huge influence on me. I was a huge fan of Loveline, and I listened to it for, like, every, every, and every night that it was on for, like, the last two and a half years that it aired. And then when he had his L.A. morning show and, and they podcasted that, I heard every episode of that. And then when he started his own podcast for many years, I, I listened to that. I admit I haven't um, I listened to it in, oh, I mean, maybe over seven years or something like that. Um, but anyway, that's, you know, um, yeah, that, that's a whole other chapter in my life. Meaning I've, I've sort of been in touch with people who are sort of tangential to that. Uh, podcast and, and been on their podcast and stuff when I was doing music. So that's a universe that I, I have a lot of affinity for. Uh, it's not a disparaging thing. It's just not, it's just not something I, that's really on my radar or something that I turn to anymore. Um, but why did I bring that up? Oh, Adam Carolla used to have this point where, you know, he would, his sort of shtick is ranting and raving and complaining about stuff. And he makes a point that I think about all the time, which is why do we do it this way? It's not like we are, uh, um, you know, it's not like there are alien overlords who like reign over us and tell us what to do and subjugate us and force us to do these nonsensical things. We do it to ourselves. you know? Like when we look at all the crazy non-bureaucratic nonsense that we put ourselves through, it's like, why do we, of course we're doing it all wrong and yet we're all just like, you know, acclimated to it. We're all just like, eh, this is the way it's going to go. You know? And I guess I'm not necessarily advocating for, like, a complete acceptance of that, you know? Like, I mean, one of my major frustrations of my last job was just this kind of bang-your-head-against-the-wall approach to, like, it's always a nightmare, it always sucks, and yet we're just not going to retool. Like, it's like the, you know, whether it's the people in power or the people in leadership, I don't know. But there's just like a, there's it's like the devil you know. There's almost like a base level of misery that people you know, just accept for themselves or something like that. And, uh, you know, maybe in certain areas of your life, you just don't tolerate it. But I guess I'm trying to say, gosh, this is, sounds really, really almost, is it misanthropic or misanthropic? I don't know. But yeah, there's something kind of sad about all this as I'm sort of uh, spelling it out here. But there's something, you know, about adult life, which is just, yeah, you just have to understand, like, you're going to wait in traffic. You're going to wait in line at the grocery store. Uh, you're it, but God help you if you have to go to the post office. And, um, you know, that's just the world we live in. And yet, oh yeah, and I keep, I keep approaching this and not saying it. It's really all in the service. It, it, well, two thoughts. When I go and have to run this errand, the reason I think, oh, it's all nonsense, it's all bullshit. But I know in my mind, I close my eyes because I've been there before. In less, well, just over a month, I'll be in Taiwan. You know, I'm currently like looking for an apartment, all that sort of stuff. And that's a, a hassle in and of itself. But at the end of the day, if you just submit to that process and, and commit to it, and maybe, maybe this is actually kind of related to like losing weight as well. Yeah, it all sucks. <laughs> you know, it, it'd be much more fun to just eat pizza all the time, which is my junk food, you know, like, uh, don't get me wrong, the Blizzard and the Dairy Queen, that's all fine. But like the thing that I crave is like pizza. Um, I was going to say a hamburger. I don't really crave a hamburger. But when I think about like things that are satisfying treats, treats, when I think of like, what what is a treat? Oh, that's a treat, something like that. But all the sort of nonsense bureaucracy, at the end of the day, I'll get to look up in a month and I'll be in Taiwan. And that's going to be a good thing, you know, and I'm going to enjoy that. Now, of course, there's probably going to be some bullshit that I have to deal with in Taiwan as well. Like I was actually thinking about, oh, I'm probably going to have to pay my taxes while I'm in Taiwan. That's going to be a fucking nightmare. This whole, I mean, I just pray to God that I have all the things that I need mailed to my house before I leave. And also, I guess it's kind of good, too, that things are getting more and more digitized. But I do know that some of my, um, what do you call it? Uh, I don't know, my, I was going to say Schedule C. I don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, miscellaneous, that's that's what I'm trying to think of. The miscellaneous income I have, stuff from royalties, all that, that stuff always comes in the mail. I don't know why I can't get that stuff just sent to my email. Um, but, uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, you do all this nonsense so that you actually get to enjoy a quality of life that's pretty good. 
you know, if you just, yeah. So I guess I'm trying to say there's a kind of enlightenment and just sort of accepting that or something. So, yeah, and, I, I'm, and as I'm thinking about this, I'm trying to think about what the ultimate analogy is. I think the idea of this is water comes from like being in a fish bowl and like fish don't really like know that they're in water. It just is part of the milieu of their life or something like that. And and maybe there's a way in which David Foster Wallace says, yeah, the kind of mundane misery that we all subject ourselves to and live through every day, that's just the water of our fishbowl. And at the end of the day, we just have to reconcile ourselves to it. It's just a part of life. Um, I mean, you could you could try to fight it, but prepare to be disappointed. And um, I mean, in a way, actually, this is interesting. In a way, it kind of goes back to like Adam Carolla because, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I admit part of the reason I've maybe gravitated away um, from his content is I have found just as he's gotten older, um, I find him a little bit more entrenched in maybe sort of conservative politics and in a way of thinking that just doesn't really like speak to me anymore. I admit, I think part of that, it, it just has like an interesting, you know, I don't know if it's a thought experiment or just seeing what happens to public figures in general. I think part of that is a consequence of, of kind of, you know, I've talked about, you know, when I was growing up and, and I still consider myself a kind of a progressive and, and a leftist, it's by virtue of where the rest of the left has sort of gravitated toward that, you know, by virtue of where they stand, I'm sort of on, I'm certainly right of them. And so, you know, for, for a contingency of people or a segment of the population who considers themselves left, I am on the right. And I think when you have a public figure or somebody who's very successful, when that contingency of people starts to castigate someone or make them feel like they're alt-right or whatever, they just go, all right, fuck you. And they kind of start sprinting in the opposite direction. Or they start looking around for a population of people who will accept them or who, um, who, um, who they do resonate with. And unfortunately, when you do that, I think you, you, I don't know, you get this kind of like affirmation or whatever. And I think success is its own kind of, um, echo chamber or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's something about where he's kind of landed that feels less, mm, yeah, less entertaining to me and more reactive. But when I go back and actually recently I was doing this, I'm trying to think of why, but I've been actually going back and listening to old Loveline uh episodes and i just gosh he's just so goddamn funny i mean effortlessly funny so i'm not going to tell you what to do but if you've never listened to old loveline episodes there's just a litany of them on youtube and they're bootlegged and i mean i've listened to gosh i feel like i've listened to every available episode at least once probably and many of them multiple times for sure i mean just on youtube just listening to them at random it's I don't think that, I don't think once I've listened to one and go, oh, I've never heard this episode before. I feel like I've heard them all. And um, so, yeah, where am I going with that? Something about changing politics, changes in me, reconciling myself to stuff. Yeah, I think maybe when I'm younger, there was something about Adam Carolla's like ranting and complaining. Well, two things, actually. One, I just think to a younger mind that sort of... Uh, that frustration is validating. I think especially if you're the type of person who feels like you kind of are, you feel, you feel like you are critical of things that maybe no one else is talking about. I think finding that at a young age and thinking, yeah, I think the exact same thing. This is very, very, very validating. And yet I also feel like that's kind of a young man's game too, because uh, as I'm thinking about the whole, this is water thing, there also comes a point in life where, the fact that it sucks or the fact that it's a nightmare, uh, it's worthy of complaining about. And I think we need a, a you know, we, we all need a space to process our feelings. But it's like how, you know, the real Jedi perspective, that's kind of like the entering, the entered apprentice kind of mentality, which is the, the that is the burgeoning of wisdom. That's the opening of the third eye. But it's also a bit like looking, it's, it's like anything, which is like, but if you, you know, if it also seems observably true that that's not going to change, what are you going to do about it in response? Because you could just sort of keep yelling and screaming about how much it sucks. And, you know, that's something. Meaning people like myself who hear that for the first time may find validation in it. But if I also tune into your podcast 20 years later 
And I literally hear Adam Carolla making the same rants and complaints of things that I have heard him say for the last 20 years. I mean, one, I think it's just like any relationship in general. Like, if you're dating someone for long enough, there's just no story you haven't heard. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure we've all been in that place in a relationship where it's like, you're going out to dinner with the new couple, but you're kind of like doing the shtick. I mean, it's this is just what life is. We just get to... It's like every new relationship you enter... You're you kind like they get to know you the same way. You just ha kind of have a repository of stories that someone's hearing for the first time. But when you're in a relationship, you kind of have periods where you're meeting new people as a couple, but you've all heard the stories, but you're kind of telling them for the first time. Is this making sense? The point I'm trying to say is you spend enough time listening to any entertainer or any musician or whatever. You just it, like a relationship, you've just heard all the stories. You can literally anticipate where the conversation's going before they get there. And even when I was listening to Loveline, that's kind of where I got with that show, where it didn't matter who called, I knew what the response to the caller was going to be. I can anticipate the response. And that's true of the podcast and all that sort of stuff. But when I haven't listened to your podcast for eight years, and I tune into it, and you're making the same exact comments, well... Then I start to think, well, and, and, and I'm trying to sort of draw this back to myself as well, which is when we think about like the types of things, like whether it's the bureaucracy of, uh, of uh, filling out medical forms or waiting in line at the grocery store, I think the real Jedi perspective is like just, just sort of accepting it, right? Or acclimating yourself to it. Because you could just kind of, you're, you're just kind of making yourself miserable if all you do is like yell and scream about it. There actually might be another way um, to kind of engage with this thing that actually makes it better for you, you know? Like the worst thing that I see, and I, I think we, you know, I think it gets sort of perpetuated, not because anyone really enjoys it, but because it is, it, it is a bit of a train wreck that we all watch. But when I see these adults engage in these sort of confrontations that get captured on cell phones, and it's basically just two idiots pointing cell phones at each other, uh, they all have that same stupid cadence where they're calling each other ma'am and sir, but it's just all agitated. Oh, are you calling me that, sir? Oh, are you calling me that, ma'am? Oh, say that again, sir. Say that again, sir. And they always blame each They always accuse each other of assault. That's assault, sir. That's assault. Oh, are you threatening me? Are you threatening me, sir? But it's like, you know, an adult, like, avoids those situations, right? Like, even when they're confronted with that type of idiocy, they just smile and nod. You know, they don't engage. Even if they're right, you know? It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's like other things in your life. It's like, yeah, this. I know this process is bullshit. I know it's going to be super frustrating and disappointing, and I feel like I have a good idea of, like, what could rectify this situation and how this should be handled, and I will you know, to the extent that it's appropriate, I will suggest when I go to my doctor's appointment tomorrow, I will say, hey, this has been my experience. Maybe this time you could just fill out the form and hand it to me or leave it at your office and I'll come pick it up. And But when the doctor tells me, and eh, unfortunately I can't do it, we have to do it X way, I'll, you know, not be happy about it, but that's what we're going to do. But I'm not going to scream and yell or uh, ask to speak to a supervisor or... Uh, you know, I'm just going to go, okay, this is the ride that I'm on. And, uh, you know, it's always disappointing. It's always frustrating. But, but at the end of the day, I get to look up and, uh, and be in Taiwan and enjoy that. And I was actually thinking about this because I was saying, I, I think earlier I sort of was saying it's something about it. It's, 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 it's a quality of life thing. Like it sounds kind of intu counterintuitive, I think, to say, oh, these super frustrating things that we do are actually in service of a quality of life that we actually get to enjoy. And for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but you just kind of let YouTube kind of roll sometimes. Um, uh, I, I've mentioned I've been doing this TEFL thing, and whether it's having classical music or YouTube videos or something, I, I, I don't do well with like complete science, silence usually. I like some type of white noise. So as I do this, I'll have music playing or I'll have YouTube playing in the background. And I don't know why YouTube started spitting up these videos of of like soldiers on the David Letterman show, like people who had won the Medal of Honor. 
And it was sort of interesting because on the one hand, there's these people who have been given the, you know, I think it's the Medal of Honor or the Medal of Valor, I don't know, but they've sustained some type of injury in battle. And usually it's like, you know, someone jumped on a grenade for their platoon and and, and whatever. Um, and they sort of get the, the medal and they get it from the president and all that sort of stuff. But I was sort of thinking about this, which is, there, at one point, David Letterman asked this person a question, and he said, and I, I, I forget the soldier's name, actually. Let's just call him Dave. But he said, um, now, the part of you that jumps on a grenade, is that Dave the soldier, or is that Dave the person? And the soldier, it sounds a little dogmatic or a little ideological, but I, I think it was actually kind of poignant when I heard it. But he said, you know, when the minute you enter the Marines, you know, from day one, you're just, he didn't use the word inculcated, and I don't necessarily mean it pejoratively, but he said, you know, you're kind of inculcated with the idea that you're part of a bigger thing, that you're entering into a, a system and, a, and, an, and an idea and a, you know, a history and a culture that's bigger than you are. And everything that, you're gonna, that you do once you become a Marine is in service of that. And so even though I would like to think that it was me, the individual, who in a moment where I realized I could sacrifice myself, you know, because it, it benefited other people or, you know, that, that, I, that, 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 that somehow this act that I did was somehow indicative of who I am as a person. That in a way it's actually, it's, it's not me, uh, apropos of nothing, it's me as a Marine. It's my investment and my entrance and my submission really to something that is bigger than myself, to be a part of something bigger than myself, that when that grenade sort of lands on the floor, it's not me, the individual who sort of jumps on it. It's, it's, it's the, I'm partly cloaked, inculcated, or, you know, part of my operating system is this selflessness, this thing I've sort of been coached up and sort of trained to sort of rely on this sort of to, to the point where it becomes instinct that I sort of throw myself on the grenade. And I thought that that was actually, you know, a powerful point. And I don't necessarily mean to make it religious, but especially as I get older, as someone who's been an atheist and skeptic their whole life, I actually heard, I think Christopher Hitchens, who's like one of the most famous atheists around, and I think one who has the most staying power as well, um, even though people like Richard Dawkins and even Sam Harris, although I, I don't think he's really th thought of much as an atheist anymore, you know, those, those are very formative thinkers um, for me when I was when I was much younger. Christopher Hitchens is the one person who I go back to and I still see his videos and I think that he is just scathingly brilliant. Uh, but for all his criticisms of religion, which are fucking excoriating, by the way, if you've never seen him debate, just go on YouTube and you could probably, uh, people always talk about a hit, his name is Christopher Hitchens, so they would say, he was just famous for decimating people in debates and just absolutely undressing them, like completely uh, dismantling people with his words. And so if he did that to you, it was called a hitch slap. So I'm sure you can find these sort of hitch slap compilations on YouTube. But I do remember him being asked a question where someone said, if you had to say something nice about religion or given all the things that you're critical about or how, I mean, I believe the subtitle of one of his books was, you know, how religion poisons everything. They said, if you had to say something nice or is, what, is there any redeeming part of religion? And the thing that he pointed out was he said, yes, I, I think that there is something, especially in certain sects of Christianity. Well, actually, all religions, I would say. But he said the part where the glory is not for you, but to a higher power, you know, that 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 is something that is uh, uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that is something that is worthy of praise or that is uh, hard to locate, I think, sometimes in like an atheist worldview. This idea that even when you do good, it's not to your credit. It's actually in the glory of God that you do it, that you surrender even the praise, the the benefits for the things that you do are actually given to God. And I'm not saying that uh, uh, religion has a stranglehold on this mentality, but I do think that maybe in the same way, wow, it's funny how this stuff comes together. But even as I'm saying, although maybe someone like Adam Carolla was very formative to me as a young person, as I get older, I sort of see some of that, you know, if that perspective sort of calcifies and doesn't change, it becomes 
its own kind of limitation. I think that's true of atheism as well. Now, uh, you know, I admit, I feel a little weird saying this, but I, you know, I don't want to say I got on the atheist train. I mean, I feel like I've, I've called myself an atheist since I could put two thoughts together. I think since I was like in fourth grade or whatever, I just sort of announced, if, if the subject was broached, I sort of called myself an atheist. As I got older, that term became more meaningful, especially as I spent, I thought if I'm going to be an atheist, and we've talked about this, but, you know, I spent a lot of time with different religious groups or whatever, you know, that term, especially this was like post 9-11, identifying as an atheist was, I think, especially, I don't want to say meaningful or important, but that carried a lot more weight than it does now, because I think, you know, even since then, the world has secularized a great deal, where it almost seems like a non-issue. But especially, you know, when I grew up in the, you know, 90s and the early 2000s, you know, even though, you know, society was, you know, secularized, there was still this overarching belief in belief that religion was a good thing. Um, and, you know, especially under like two terms of George W. Bush, who was a staunch conservative in many ways, you know, the kind of, I don't want to say like, evangelical i mean the right was always associated with like christian evangelism that was like the extreme form of the right was like christian evangelism um so identifying as an atheist was a little bit more different but why am i talking about this um yeah maybe i was saying something about like the staying power of somebody like christopher Hitch hitchens is because there's also something in the kind of strident atheism like, when I still see adults, like, for example, there is a former podcast host of a, formerly a host of a, of a, uh, uh, a skeptics, or I don't even know what you call it, but a, a podcast that was geared toward people who were, like, skeptical, atheists, uh, human, uh, humanistic, that kind of stuff. And I remember when I was much younger, he came and did a talk at the local library, and at the time, again, maybe it was part of my interest in different religious groups, and I was going to all these churches. I was also big on media. So like when I would spend time with the Mormons, I would record with audio, with their permission, all of our interactions. And when I would go to things like the Church of Scientology or whatever, I would come back and just make these audio recordings of my experience, you know? Just something about, hell, for a guy who sticks a microphone in front of his face every week to just talk at nobody for an hour. Maybe this makes sense. But I, I just liked archiving. I liked filing things away. I liked having the media. You know what I mean? I liked having the record of the experience. And so this person that I was aware of came and I basically emailed them ahead of time and said, hey, can I come and film you? Can I film this and maybe I'll edit it together and, and you'll have something to put online? And so I did. And it was just a way that we stayed in touch. And then, you know, Facebook comes around and we happen to connect on there. So we've just kind of been in touch in the, uh, in the year since then. And although I really enjoy this person, when I see the, like they, they, they post very frequently on social media, when I see the comment thread and I see these, not just adult males, but I'm talking into their sixties and seventies who still regurgitate and espouse this kind of, uh, strident atheism that I felt kind of, uh, it's not that I necessarily disagree with it, but I think I felt more affinity or, um, um, I don't want to say I identified with it, but 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 something like that. I I I felt more. Yeah, it made more sense to me as a young man. I'm just baffled by adult men, especially adult men, who still kind of hold on to this as like a big part of their meaning making in their life, or really identity identity forming. You know, it's this kind of like, um. Yeah, whether it's like perpetual complaining about the line at the grocery store or just uh, obstinance and, and just perpetual anger about the, the process of bureaucracy or whatever, it just seems uh, kind of unenlightened or something. It just seems kind of, I don't know, provincial is the word that's coming to mind. But I think like... Yeah, and, and maybe it's related, too, with, like, the adults who are just, like, pointing cell phones at each other and, like, having these battles for social media or something where it just feels very juvenile, you know? I mean, this doesn't really feel related, but maybe it'll it'll come together somehow. But I feel like especially—I don't know why I'm thinking of BLM, and I'm not sure why I'm thinking about 
maybe some of this other social justice stuff that's going on. But one of the other things, too, that I, I felt like I heard the left saying a lot is something about, like, really needing to revere the perspective of young people and children. And let me, I'll pay some service to that first before I, I say my complaints about it, which is I have a, a friend of mine who's currently in Taiwan. who's also an adult. Uh, he's a couple years younger than me, but, you know, we're both in this period of our life where we're actually doing a lot of things kind of uh, compared to other people. We're co coming to a lot of things late in life. I mean, he just finished his graduate degree. Um which uh, for him uh, already felt late enough. Imagine how I feel, even a couple years older than him, and I'm just beginning that journey. Um, but uh, both didn't graduate college when we were younger, so we got to it a little bit later. And although it was very frustrating recently to be an undergraduate student at, you know, in my mid-30s, uh, now late 30s, you know, being surrounded by younger people, I'm also very grateful for that experience because... Um, you know, I get to kind of see what their world is like and kind of how they're navigating things. And uh, it made me a little bit more sensitive to kind of what they're experiencing. But, you know, that's very different. There, there's almost this kind of like, and maybe it's maybe it's sort of related to white guilt or something like that. But like, I feel like, like uh, liberal white people just have this like intrinsic self-hate or they just like won't, at least publicly, won't sort of uh, go to bat for their own opinions or perspectives on things. They're always insisting that we look to other people to tell us how to think and feel as if young, like, so there was this push to like, listen to young people or like, like they are somehow a fount of wisdom of like how we should like order our society as if like the rest of us adults are just like corrupted by the world that we've lived in. And uh, I completely disagree with that. Now, as I'm saying that, I have no idea why I'm talking about that. Um, yeah, actually, I do. I think it's this idea that, like, there's a type of maybe, like, fire and passion that young people have that I think is in some ways, um, uh, yeah, I don't want to say enviable, but is uh, admirable. You know, I mean, I do think there's a way in which maybe there's a lot of times, you know, there are things that we were formerly passionate about that maybe to make money or maybe to get by in the world, we kind of let go of. But I admit that there's a lot of a lot of that is just what it is. It's just kind of being young and dumb. And it's not that we're all like in mass brainwashed and sort of. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, subjugated into this kind of placid state of adulthood, um, there's a type of, uh, I don't know, kind of reconciling yourself to the way things are, you know? Like, for example, I, this may sound grossly uh, <laughs> reductionistic, but it's like when I'm sitting there in the doctor's office and I say, my experience many times has been X, Y, and Z, I know in my gut that this would be exponentially easier if I could just bring this form in and have the doctor fill it out and just hand it back to me. That would be much easier. But there also could be a way in which, while true, I'm also vastly underestimating why the system is the way it is, you know? And uh, even though it has never worked out for me and even though it's entirely frustrating, you know, maybe good is too strong a word, but things are the way they are for a reason. And if I were to just go into the doctor's office every time and just sort of insist that things be done the way that I want them to be done, you know, again, not that I'm wrong. In a magical world of my own making in a hypothetical situation that I've conjured for myself, maybe the way I'm sort of positing that we do things would be a perfectly fine way to do things. But, but here's the caveat. Given the reality of the situation, as I choke, hold on one second. <clears throat> Given the reality of the situation, that is going to be impossible. And if I just sort of persist in uh, arguing for that, well, uh, I should prepare to be disappointed. There's a type of kind of uh, youthful protest that I think sort of falls into that category. And I'm a little baffled why so many seemingly sensible adults sort of insist that we all sort of, uh, um, I don't know, bend at the knee to that sort of thing. Um but yeah, and maybe I'm just saying it's also a little bit sad when I see other adults who seem to be carrying that into their adult life, you know? I'm not saying that I'm that I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination. 
But I do admit that, um, yeah, it's a little disappointing to sort of look around as an adult. And maybe this is also one of the other kind of Jedi perspective things, which is when you're younger, at least for me, I think we're sort of believe that maybe it's the kind of schoolification of life, which is like, because when you're young and you're in school, you basically have to graduate and sort of go up each grade. And so maybe I just sort of, you know, subconsciously sort of, you know, because I get older every year and I happen to move up a grade every year, I sort of assume by, I sort of extend that out to the world in general, which is, oh, as you get older, you kind of graduate every year and you get smarter and you think that people are developing and, and, you know, that, you know, in the same way, like when you enter ninth grade, you start learning algebra. Like you're only allowed to do taxes or have kids or whatever, uh, when you reach a certain age, right? I mean, that makes sense too. When it's like, oh, you can only drink alcohol when you're 21. It's almost like, oh, you don't get calculus until you're in college or some shit like that. Um, yeah, it's bizarre to see some adults who, uh, yeah, they're still kind of engaged and seem to still like espouse the same type of philosophy or things that uh, I admit may have meant something to me when I was like, uh, younger than my early 20s but it just is very perplexing uh, um, to see people still engaged in that and actually uh, social media is a bit like that too like for example I, I've been on this David Fincher kick and I actually told myself I was gonna um, get back into that and maybe pick up with Fight Club and all that sort of stuff but we're not gonna have time to get to it today but it's funny to watch that movie because not, I mean, I'm old enough that not only do I remember the advent of Facebook, but I remember all the prehistory to that film. You know, there's young people, people I went to college with who would watch uh, uh, the social network and think, uh, you know, that it's like ancient history or something like that. Well, they make all these sly references to things like Facebook. It's like, I remember those things being instantiated and I remember those things coming and going. Um and actually, for some, for some reason, I was talking about like 9-11 and George Bush. I may have said this recently, but I was in a class when I was at Berkeley where someone was talking about 9-11. And half the, I mean, nobody in that class, except for, you know, there was one or two other adults, you know, they were either not alive when it happened or they were babies. And this idea of like having this anecdote to relate, you know, uh, the teacher asked like, who remembers X, Y, or Z? And I was like one of the few people that raised my hands. And they asked me like, do you remember anything else about that time period that was interesting? And I told this story about freedom fries, how because the French were not in support of our invasion of Iraq, that in, in the United States, there were tons of fast food restaurants that uh, changed the name of French fries to freedom fries in protest. And the class was just incredulous. But it was just interesting to have that anecdote. But why am I talking about that? Talking about the social network. Oh, maybe just the, yeah, I think this is just a final thought here. It's just the way that we engage with, with social media. You know, I remember just today I was thinking about, I remember when I was first starting to play music and my friend had a open mic type event. It's stupid to go into the details here, but I remember playing, uh, debuting a song that I had written at that. And I remember the next day going on Facebook or something and just writing this post that like, oh, I debuted this song last night and I didn't play very well and oh, I'm just feeling kind of shitty. And it was like hashtag sad or some shit. I don't know what I put, but it was something like that, right? And I look back on that and I kind of feel embarrassed, right? Because now that I'm an adult, and uh, this sounds hypocritical from a guy who, who speaks into a microphone every week and, and, and throws that out into the, uh, into the ether, kind of like that satellite. You know that satellite that was created? I think Carl Sagan was involved in it as well, where they put like that gold record on a satellite and just sort of shot it into space. And it has things like... Uh, a couple of samples of like music and like some, uh, I think like some, uh, not trigonometry, what's the word? Oh, geometry stuff. It's basically just this capsule that if an alien civilization finds it, we have tried to put some thoughtful things engraved on it so they would realize that it came from an intelligent uh, life form and it has our place in the in the solar system and all that sort of shit on it. Anyway, um, literally, why am I talking about that? Literally, why am I talking about that? Shooting things into space. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm just saying that that the, this uh, personal journal is a little bit like that. Um, yeah, so it sounds hypocritical for a guy who does this to say that uh, social media or people who broadcast their lives on social media is something that they should be embarrassed about. But it's like, 
maybe maybe that type of behavior made sense when I was younger. Now that I'm an adult, it doesn't make sense, you know. So anyway, uh, this is just another long rant uh, explaining why I'm better than everyone else and everyone should try to be like me when they grow up. And uh, yeah, I have it all figured out and uh, everyone else is just sort of uh, uh, facing the world like a Rubik's Cube where uh, geniuses like me and our ilk just sort of go about uh, unfettered and uh, live in a state of perpetual progress and enlightenment and uh, eventually we'll just transcend all of the bullshit that everybody else is sort of befuddled by. So, with that said, I and I really thought I wasn't going to have anything to talk about <laughs> today, so maybe you can tell I'm losing my mind that I'm not in class and I just have a lot of free time to work on TEFL, and uh, I didn't even talk about going to the Taiwanese consulate, uh, but also running around and going to FedEx office to have crap printed and uh, tomorrow going to the doctor. So yeah, man, maybe I'm losing my goddamn mind. But uh, I have to admit, uh, this break has been a little restorative. And uh, as time goes on, even though the procedures and the processes that are getting me closer to it are a bit of a nightmare, I'm looking forward to my time in Taiwan more and more. And so with that, thank you for checking in. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your time. And ciao! For now.